Could a vaccine mean an end to Crohn's disease? Stem cells to grow new immune system in Crohn's disease patients. Clinical trial proves to be magic for Crohn's treatment. These are by far the best home remedies for Crohn's disease. Welcome to About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 1989 and had J-pouch surgery in 1999. I'm the person behind the About IBD website and social media platforms. Did I capture your attention with those news headlines? I took a few minutes to search for recent news stories, and that's what I found. The headlines are not only overblown, but they're sometimes not even reflective of what's written in the actual story, let alone what the research found. I asked my friend Shireen Lehman to help me understand how we can tell the difference between a great article that discusses IBD and one that's written to get you to click and to sell advertising. Here's our discussion about critical thinking and how it applies to online stories about IBD. So, Shireen, what is your educational background for which that you have learned how to be a critical thinker? So, I have a master's degree in nutrition, and uh, um, not all of the education for that is full-on critical thinking, but I spent a lot of time looking at research and having to do a thesis paper that had, you know, 40, 50 different uh, um, citations and whatnot. And we did have one class that was on evidence-based practice. And previous to that, I had taken some classes at the graduate level at University of New Mexico, an epidemiology class, which was by far and away my most favorite class I've ever taken in my life. And epidemiology is basically the study of things, usually diseases and health conditions that happen in groups of people, in populations. And the statistics that they use and the way they do things and the way you set up studies and the way you handle all this is very interesting. And I remember taking a class and learning these things about how they set up the studies. And I remember saying to my husband now, boyfriend at the time, you know, I, I absolutely love this. I just don't know if I want to use it for good or for evil because not only was I learning how to evaluate what's in a research study and the findings, I was also learning how they can be used incorrectly by people. And it usually isn't so much the study that itself is bad, it's what people say about the study or what they say and say that some study backs up what they say. So I guess my background educationally would be from the master's degree and before. And then after that, I started teaching um, evidence-based practice in a nutrition master's degree program. And now I'm teaching that in a physician assistant program. So that's a, they're at the master's level and they're really, really bright people who are going to go out there and be physician's assistants. So they need to be able to evaluate medical literature critically. Uh So that's what I do. A lot of it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you do. And so I was thinking about this topic of critical thinking and a few of the things that were that I was hoping that you all could help me sort of tease out is how we get to people and help them to understand, for instance, how to evaluate a research study. Because a lot of the things that we see are really like hyperbolic. They they do take that data and take it to 
an evil place. They take it to a place where essentially uh, online it's to get more clicks. <laughs> you know, more right. full transparency. Shireen and I <laughs> used to work like by the click, mm-hmm. but we didn't ascribe to that idea of that you should take something and make it more sensational than it is. So how do we sort of tease that out and sort of try to help people understand that that's kind of how online works. And so these, the sensational headline is, is to get the click. This is really a difficult thing because who is the uh, target for that? Is it the end reader? Do they have to figure out all this and they may not have a background in it? Is it the writers, um, the editors that assign stories or decide what to do with the story when they get it? A few years ago, I was able to attend something called Medicine in the Media, and it was put on by um, um, Dartmouth and NIH, and it was a phenomenal program. Basically, they would accept about 50 writers, either health, a few were bloggers, a lot were medical reporters, mm-hmm. um, and it was about a week-long intensive thing, and here's how to understand what this means. Not only what does the study how is the study designed? What do the statistics mean? Does Just because you see a statistic and just because it's real and, and truly means there is a difference, is that difference really a big enough deal to matter? Is it clinically important? Is it, there's, and so it was, um, you know, kind of making sense of the statistics and then how to write about it. And um, let's see, what is the name of that site? Gary Schmidt is the name of the guy who runs it. Um, Sadly, they're only going to do this for another year. Joy Victory works for them. Um, And they evaluate news stories on health every week. And they assign them a score. And they have a formula there. Mm -hmm. And anyone can see the formula. And it's a really easy thing to give to people who are writers or want to be writers or editors. Um, The name escapes me, but Mm -hmm. I suspect you can look it up and edit out my dumbass parts. (laughs) We'll figure it out and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll just ask Joy. (laughs) That would be easier, but but that I think is that that's going to help the uh, writers and the editors if they are interested in that. It does kind of take away from the the, the clickbait, especially the headlines. We evaluate um, uh, medical studies and read them, and then put them in a form that's for someone to read who does not do that for a living. So I really do blame the writers. And I almost have to use that word like really, really loosely mm-hmm. because it's shocking to me sometimes that I will go, people obviously send me stuff all the time. Have you seen this? And then I'll go and I'll read the story and say, well, this didn't tell me a lot. Then I'll try to go and find the research paper and look at the research paper. And then you find out that it was like on mice, mm-hmm. and, you know, and but nowhere in the headline or the story that I just read did it say that it was mice. They just said researchers found, and it sounds great. So I almost feel like we have to get to the writers. Like, I can't really blame people who are just reading something from a source that they're trusting. But then again, you know, it sounds almost that you have to be skeptical of everything, but you kind of have to be skeptical of everything, yeah. right? Would you say? No, I would say so. Yes, look for the facts. You know, yeah. Even yeah, you know, even if you do believe something because you've experienced it, or it's something you're pretty sure about, or something new comes out, look at it. It's it's ridiculous. It will be ridiculous when you look at it. So, but look at it with a a new eye. But so there are so many writers out there, though, right? Like, I mean, you know, you can look on Indeed or 
all different places and they're looking for writers, you know, 1500 words for 25 bucks or 15 bucks. So so there's a lot of people and a lot of people writing online, a lot of blogs and a lot of things, people doing things on their own. So it's not like there is any kind of a requirement to be educated or to learn how to critically think about this. And there are some that they basically stick their thumb in the eye of basically critical thinking and they really Mm -hmm. want to push beliefs instead. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's pull on that thread for a second because I don't necessarily believe that some of the people out there pushing not just poor evaluation of research, but also what is best called conspiracy theories. I don't think that they necessarily always believe what they're writing. It's about winning the click. Yeah. So like, you know, it's almost like, how do we even understand what a person's motivation is when they're writing these stories? Sometimes I I look at them and they're so one-sided. They're so completely one-sided and they don't read anything like what we were taught, even in like eighth grade English, how you write a, a, a news story, you know? And, and yet it's out there. No one's putting a stop to it or, you know, except for occasionally like you or I, Shireen, or some of my other, you know, um, medical editor friends who step into the fray occasionally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at great, at great perils to ourselves. Yep, yep. So, like, what? Yeah, that is a hard thing too, right? When you're looking at Facebook and you see someone posting something, and I tend to have a rule where I don't jump all over someone's ass when they're on Facebook and they post something. I just kind of scroll away yeah every once in a while or if the way they describe it if it looks like they're looking for some back and forth then I might Uh tiptoe in and say well here's why what you're sharing isn't really backed up by the studies they even used or the evidence that they tried to pretend had something to do with the article but yeah the one on the mice the animals um lab lab studies or another one like the beyond a bunch of cells in a in a dish. I mean, a lot of substances, I would think, you know, a lot of times they'll take an extract of some kind and they'll throw it on some cancer cells and they cancel cancer cells shrivel up and die. Well, I mean, you could probably throw a ranch dressing on cancer cells and they'd probably die. So it's a long way to go from something that happens in that little dish to what actually happens in the human body. So when you're talking about a report from a research study, like was it on humans? Like, was it like some of the things that I would look for would be, for instance, um, knowing like uh, what a clinical trial is and how that works and knowing that a phase one clinical trial is something that's on healthy humans. And then a phase two and phase three, that actually goes into treating people with the disease, but that there's this whole situation that goes on even before that, where it's tested on mouse models, or like you're saying, like cells in a dish, Mm -hmm. or they even have now for some disease states, they'll have um, computer models, Mm -hmm. that it's not even any cells at all. And that you have to look at not just what the outcome was of that study, because you can spin those numbers, but what was, like, where did the study originate? What is it actually being done on? I feel like if the if the story doesn't tell you, then you start you need to start looking yeah. further. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they should describe. I think a a good news story should describe the study a bit, how it's done, and what the findings were, and try to find an expert out there if you can. And and what's the writing I do most of the time? Find an expert in the field and have them ask ask them about it. Right, and uh, they'll tell you what they think. 
I think part of it is accepting that you might need more context around whatever it is that you're reading and that perhaps you can't just take this one thing or this one person or this one idea and just hold on to it like that. There's too much context and nuance in almost everything. And we can't necessarily seek out an expert for, you know, every little thing that goes on. But at the same time, you can look at it and say, you know, you're telling me that this is the next big thing, but why? Why is this the next big thing? Like you have to, you have to give me more than just this little bit of information. And we live in a time right now where everything is in little sound bites and memes and everything is just one little thing, one little thing. You see that one thing over and over, and if you see the one thing over and over, you kind of start to believe it. Yeah. Or, 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 or you start to doubt that you were thinking the other way or, you know. Well, I think that's another thing, too, particularly in, well, in almost everything, I mean, especially in, in medicine, but that one thing is understood to be true, but then as more information comes along, you there's an expanded understanding of what's happening right yeah you can expand on the what you know about something and that's good it doesn't happen super fast though it kind of happens over time um if something comes across as sounding too good to be true or it's it probably (laughs) is if it's like something you know if you you see words like what your doctor doesn't want to tell you or or, that's a that's a yeah or uh breakthroughs are you know, not usually breakthrough breakthroughs, you know, um, it's overused, right? Like there are breakthroughs, but like, not like every if five it's, minutes, if it's, if, it's, if it's an advertisement for something for, uh, you know, an $80 bottle of vitamins or something, and it's a breakthrough or something your doctor didn't tell you or, um, any of those kind of over emotional words, that's something to be wary of. Right. Anytime oh. you see emotional words, Hey, this is Stephanie from The Stolen Colon. I'm a mom of two young kids and I'm living with Crohn's disease and a permanent ileostomy. I'm inviting you to be a part of the conversation on Twitter for parents with IBD and parents of kids who have IBD. Use the hashtag IBDMoms to join in and to get all the info on our upcoming Twitter chats. While you're there, don't forget to follow me at SMLHughes and check out my blog at stolencolon.com. So you said emotional words. I like that. Um, some of the other things that I tell people to look for uh, in a study is, is, or in, a, in an article that's written perhaps about uh, a research study is that look who's writing it. Who is this person? Are they affiliated with something, anything? Are they selling anything? Have they referenced anything? Like, like these are some like basic things that this is probably used in the scoring idea that you were talking about that, mm-hmm. you know, you, that there are certain metrics that you can go through and say, okay, well, they didn't even cite the study that they're talking about, nor did they cite any other studies. I don't know who this person is. They haven't given any credentials anywhere. You know, if, if a name is even attached to the work and how can I evaluate any of this without having that basic knowledge about it. Sure. I've read some some articles that um, on sites where they're trying to sell various things and they do cite sources. And then I'd go look at the sources and the research articles really didn't cover what it was they were trying to sell or it just wasn't, it wasn't accurate, but how many people are going to go look 
at the sources, read the study, and have any clue. So, right. Um, and another thing that kind of bugs me, people will do um, when I when I used to teach. Don't not so much now. I have to teach my class in a condensed format. But when I used to teach it, I would ask a couple of questions. It was an online class, so I would ask in kind of a message board area some questions about. Um, well, I would actually teach people how to look for good websites and and whatnot. But in the course of this, I'd ask them certain questions and the students would come up with answers and they would always back themselves up with a source they found. The, the education they had, they'd always ask for a source, but often the source, the study they'd find, maybe there were one time I remember someone used one and it actually said the opposite of what she thought it did. Just at the very beginning of the class. What can happen is that people will pick one study they'll find the one study that they think backs up their belief. Mm -hmm. That's not critical thinking. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're going to sit there on PubMed all night till you find that one study that maybe backs up what you're thinking, when there are a dozen that say the opposite, chances are those dozen that say the opposite are the right ones. Mm -hmm. So don't cherry pick. Yeah. And the thing about PubMed is that a lot of patients spend time there, which is awesome, but not everything on PubMed is sort of on an equal footing. Oh, not at all. Yeah. So not at all. there are, there are going to be, I think part of what you and I do and what I would never expect, you know, other people that do other things for a living is to look at the study and in, in sometimes help you reading a study and just, I, I can't even believe how flawed it is. It's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like, very common. yeah. So yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, there was just, you'll know about sure. this Shireen about, um, the, the study that everyone cites about the Mediterranean diet. Mm. And then I read this long article that sort of went through, sort of went where they went wrong mm -hmm. and how they chose the, the people for the study and this kind of thing. And, and after reading it, it was like, was so obvious to me that that study is flawed. Right, right. So that's another reason not to like listen to that one study, you know. I mean, a lot of studies, even if they're well done, there's still going to be a few issues with them. But that's, that, that's okay. Um, you take it for what it is and you see what other studies and what a group of studies will say. But then the other thing to do, like you have that, you may have a study, those studies like the Mediterranean diet studies. So people who sell walnuts or people who sell almonds or people who sell yogurt will say, well, this is one of the foods that is part of the Mediterranean diet and the Mediterranean diet has been shown to be good for your heart. So therefore our food is good for your heart. But it doesn't mean that just go out and buying a sack of walnuts and eating those every, every day is really going to make much difference. You know? <laughs> well, that's like the coffee stuff. There was a big one recently about coffee and everyone kept sending it to me. And I'm like, I don't think this study says what all of these writers are trying to make right. it say. Or the, the stuff about wine that, you know, no, uh, you know, <laughs> they're they're mostly funded by the people that sell coffee and sell oh, wine. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. If, if you go all the way down to the end of the article and you see... Usually there was some funding there. Who funded the study? That's important. Sure. If if it was funded by the government or a government, you could say, well, this is this is an impartial study. This is not. But if it's funded by the people that sell coffee and it tells you that you should we should all be drinking four cups a day because it's then gonna make you know, us immortal. And yeah. yeah, yeah. And those studies are you know, called sponsored research when someone pays for it. It's not necessarily always bad, right. but you really gotta look closer then. So Right. Yeah. You know, for instance, when a drug comes out, obviously the company that makes the drug funds the study and that like that's mm -hmm. just going to go together. And, and, you know, that's how the system works. Right. But it is another uh, it is another thing for you to look at when you're trying to evaluate. Does this thing make any sense? And mm -hmm. should I be trusting 
what this writer is saying or how do I look at this research study and evaluate that it's even a decent one. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they're not all winners. <laughs> no, no, of course not. And, you know, sometimes they seem to look pretty good in the studies and they get out in the real world with real people and uh, they don't always, you know, things pop up as well. So that's a good point. That happens a lot in medicine. They'll take a drug through, you know, their phase mm-hmm. three trials and a phase three trial. It could be a year maybe that they're following people on a medication. But then usually later they'll do what they call a real world mm-hmm. study and that's interesting because people that are chosen for a clinical trial are going to be very specific. They're chosen. Right. It's right. not everybody that has the disease. Then the drug gets to market and it goes to whoever the physicians agree that it should be prescribed to their own patients. And then you get all sorts of things that come out yep. in these real world studies. Yeah. yeah. So. Then, then, then things happen you weren't expecting. And sometimes it can be kind of an oops. <laughs> there's yeah there's been some oopses yeah. that have come out from that you know but I think that that's always a good study to look at whenever you're mm-hmm. evaluating a treatment for yourself you mm-hmm. see if you can find that that real world study on that drug you know yeah and like if you're looking at studies like on food and nutrition and the diet studies and all that they're they're observational almost always it's not too yeah. common to have a, a controlled type of trial because it's just hard to do because you would have to be on a diet or eat a certain food every day or whatever for quite a long time to see any changes. So typically they go with the observational studies and that's with lots of people. And they just look to see at what, what they do. And if people did something in common, do they have similar outcomes because of it? Um, so that's when you'll see someone will do a study on a specific food or a diet and they'll look at what all the people did and they'll find people who ate that food were you know, healthier, more beautiful or whatever. But there are certain um, certain patterns that happen that happen every time. So, um, in general, people who um, are the least healthy typically eat lots of red meat. They are more likely to smoke, more likely to drink too much, less likely to get enough exercise, more likely to um, eat a bad diet, less likely to eat fruits and vegetables, and less likely to get enough fiber. So you can pick out any one of those. And say, well, this is why they're sick, but it's really kind of a total thing. And when researchers do these studies, they try to do a statistical magic to kind of work that out to try to block those other things that can uh, confound a study. But it's really, really, really hard. I don't know if you can really do a 100% job of doing that. So. And that's why a lot of times it doesn't get studied. Right. You know, I mean, in the IBD space, that's what happens is that there's, you know, patients are looking for um, guidance and knowledge and there's not a lot out there. And it's because it's really challenging to study diet. There's some that are um, going on right now. And, you know, we all can't wait for the outcomes of that. But to date, there's been pretty much nothing. So we don't have a lot to go on. Yeah. <laughs> but there's yeah. a lot of writers out there that will tell you what to eat. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> based on the studies that we don't have (laughs) well that's a tough one too because sometimes editors will say well write this would you can you can you write this for us can you come up what what are some dietary goals or ideas for someone with a condition and you can do that for stuff like diabetes and things are diabetes educators and whatnot and there's a lot of work that's been done there but some conditions like i was asked to write one about pancreatitis once it's like it was kind of tough because it's, you know, I mean, you just don't want to have stuff with fat in it. And it's basically the, 
the uh, that's the guy's name right there. Yeah. So it's like I gotta turn that into an article now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat fatty food. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I gotta make seven hundred fifty. Make that into seven hundred fifty words somehow. Yeah. The best part of that one particular article is that, or that when uh, the, the, there was a graphic that went with it. And the graphic was of foods, and it was a cute picture. It's just that they had, like, an egg on there and, like, a chicken, a whole, you know, and it's like, but not, like, a chicken breast. It was, like, an actual, like... An actual chicken. Yeah, there was something else on there. It's like, okay, these aren't bad, but why do you... And, and it was sent to me for okay. You know, I said, no, this is not okay. You have foods that are high in fat here, so change it. And they did. And then they let me go a week later. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, you know, and I've known more than one writer who's been approached, uh, you know, to write something, you know, uh, that whatever, this is hot right now. This is this this topic or this study just came out, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I've had to give some pushback too. the first the first podcast episode I did was about um, mind giving pushback because the study came out and it was everywhere. And then they finally asked me to write on it. And I was like, but it was cells in a dish and mm-hmm. like this is good research and I can't wait to see where it goes but it doesn't mean anything for us right now you know and more often than not it, it's the writers who push back yeah. and say I can't write about that this is yeah. this is almost unethical oh so here's the sad part but because the writer like you is going to push back someone who will just write about it yes. is not and yes. Maybe there's a, maybe it's a good idea to find a way to write about it, but in screaming big letters and this doesn't mean shit. <laughs> or if the person is not uh, um, a uh, a topic knowledge expert, mm-hmm. you know, then you could easily look at something and say, "Oh, sure, I can write that up just fine," because they don't have the context and the nuance behind right. um, what what came before. So that could happen as well but yeah it's hard it's it's really tough when your editor asks you to write something oh, that I you know. disagree with you want to say it yes and you want to write it and then as you look at the study and it's like oh yeah, yeah this study's kind of a dog yeah. <laughs> yeah for the other thing i do i have the option of just tossing the study out i get assigned studies to write about and uh, if it's up if I think the study's just not worth it, then I can just say no thanks and there's no questions asked. So that's oh right, because part because part of it is evaluating the actual study. Yeah, because that's to, see, yeah, it's the problem because oh, an article like that is or a news story like that is about one study. Yeah, so it is also good with a a news story like that. You'd hope they bring in some context of what um, previous studies have st- have said about oh, yeah. it, so you don't just look at the one. It's great to write about the one study and read about a study, right? But you want to know what other studies have said, right? So. Yeah, just a, even just a brief, you know, previous studies have shown this. Yep. And that's why, you know, this is showing something different. So it's important. Right. And we used to joke um, uh, when I was writing for uh, one of the companies that I worked for that you couldn't ever write at the end of one of your stories about a research article that more study is needed because more studies are always needed. Yeah. It was just like, don't put that, you yeah. know. Um, but honestly, now... A lot of times I put that. <laughs> yeah, I use it. I use a not a variation of it. Yeah, I use some. Yeah, yeah. Because some more than others, you know. Some because there's just just a feeling about it. It's like this is really preliminary, you know. Right. So, it's cause, preliminary. Because that's another thing. Editors do like to find things that are a little bit different. 
and that can be great, but that may be the first time a study's been really done in that area that way. Yeah. That's cool, but it's like, yeah, no, this is just, first of its kind is interesting, but it needs more study to show that it's real. Right. So. That's another good word, I think, a preliminary or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. that you would uh, look at it and, and maybe have a little more trust uh, in what the writer is saying because they're acknowledging that this is important, but it's still very early days right. in whatever's going on. Hey, super listener. I want to give special thanks to Shireen for helping me think through this topic of critical thinking. In addition to being a writer and an educator, Shireen runs a subscription box called Introverts Retreat. You can find Introverts Retreat on Facebook and Instagram. To close out the topic, I have a few tips to help you as you read an article or a study and decide for yourself whether or not it makes sense. Words that can give you a clue that a headline or a story might be misleading include anything that talks about a cure, as that relates to IBD, headlines like what your doctor doesn't want you to know or what your doctor doesn't tell you, and then words like breakthrough or miracle or magic. You're also going to look for more than one study to back up a claim. In the beginning, the research is called preliminary until more work is done that comes to the same conclusions. And sometimes that second study shows that the first study was off base and that the idea isn't worth pursuing. I've written many times on both aboutibd.com and at verywell.com about how you can evaluate what you read online and decide if it's great information or if it's junk. You can search either of those sites, and I'll also put some links in the show notes to make it a little easier for you. You can let me know your thoughts by contacting me at About IBD on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also rate and review my show on Apple Podcasts, and that helps me make more shows. Thanks for listening. And remember, I want you to know more about IBD. (laughs) 